Welcome back to More Money Minutes for Doctors. This is episode number 16. Today, I'm going to be talking about seven things you need to know before you become an attending doc. Catherine Vesson is here. I am the CEO and founder of MD Financial Advisors. I want to talk to you about all of those residents and fellows out there who are getting close to graduation. So we always like to sit down with these doctors to make sure they consider these seven important steps because there are ways to protect their financial goals and their financial future as they're transitioning into finally being an attending. So today we're gonna to discuss these steps and why they're so important. Now for further questions, or if there's something you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please reach out to us at info at mdfinancialadvisors.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe and follow us on social media at MD Financial Advisors so you don't miss an episode. Now, while our residents and fellows are finishing up their training, they have a lot to consider for finding the right attending position. And we're here to make it a little easier for you by covering seven key points and a lot of questions that you should be asking yourself and your future employer. So the first thing to think about is a financial review of your job contracts. I did record another podcast about this recently. And so you may wanna check that out to go through some of the items that we wanna make sure is covered in every contract. But when it comes to just a financial review, you wanna look at how does one salary compare to the other? That's pretty easy. But a lot of times the devil's in the details and in the benefits. How do the benefits compare from one company to another? This can have a huge difference and once again, make a big impact on your future. Now, it's important for you to know the common salary for your specialty in your new location. Now, one of the ways I do this is I get onto a couple of websites. One of them is called salary.com. Another is called glassdoor.com. And put in your specialty, you can put in anesthesiology, Kansas City, and they're going to show you, give you a graph on what are the uh, salaries in that area. So you'll look at the low end, the high end, and the median. Now, this is incredibly important, as I mentioned before in a previous podcast, because I've actually had doctors negotiate a much higher salary because they came prepared with this information to show that, hey, what you're offering me is really uh, very, very low. And Lo and behold, the employer coughed up the extra money to make sure that they were in the ballpark. So I thought that was great. Now, some benefits are worth a lot more than others. I'll be frank, I don't have clients spending too much time negotiating over CME. Yes, we prefer for you to get a $5,000 a year. $1,500 is way too low. But you know, if it's somewhere between $3,500 and $5,000, you're probably not going to make a big difference there. And you can't ever negotiate about your retirement benefits because they have to be the same across the board. There's no place to negotiate there. The kind of places where you do want to negotiate, though, are going to be in your base pay bonuses, including sign-on bonuses. Those are very important. And sometimes you can actually negotiate vacation pay. Another key thing to look at is what is the location of this job and does this align with your long-term goals? I've had a couple of clients that for whatever reason wanted to move to Seattle. In fact, I had a whole bunch of clients moving to Seattle after they finished their training. But now they've got babies and they're like 
you know, we like Seattle, but all of our families on the East Coast and they, ha they have to move back. I think that's, that's fine. But keep in mind, moves are expensive and then you actually may be losing some time as you're trying to get to partnership. So whenever possible, it's nice to find your forever place. If it works out for you, great. If not, don't worry. Other questions to ask is what is the possibility for a partnership or for growth opportunities? And of course, a big deal for most of our clients is, is this a private institution so I can continue with my public service loan forgiveness debt plan? Uh, we've had some clients actually turn down some fabulous jobs because it meant that they it would disqualify them for their PSLF loan forgiveness. So a very, very big thing to be thinking about. But I've also done some analysis for certain doctors, and even though the public service loan forgiveness wasn't available in the private sector job, it actually made sense to take that anyway because it paid so much more that after they refinanced their student loans and with a higher pay, they were actually better off than sticking with PSLF. Okay, number two, very important thing to think about is your new goals, particularly goals that have a financial component, and how does that match up with your new income? And I do have some doctors that are very smart and say, look, I'm not used to making this amount of money. Help me. I don't even know what that looks like. And other doctors are like, oh my gosh, I'm making so much more money. And they just spend, spend, spend. So I don't think the second approach is going to be very helpful in the long run. So one of the things I love to do for every single doctor that's becoming an attending is run through your own individual budget under your new income. You're moving you're going to have a higher income. I just want to run through it and show, guess what? You're also going to have higher taxes. And guess what? Now we've got student debt that we have to start paying too. And they're like, oh my gosh. So a lot of times, unfortunately, after you take the, the higher taxes and the student debt out, you may only be making about what you were making in fellowship or in residency. I know it's absolutely horrible. But it's a very important piece of information for you to know before you start spending. So a big mistake I see is doctors getting house poor right out of training. You're tired of living in a rental. You're tired of living in an apartment. You want that house for your family. I totally get that. It's crazy to go out and buy a big, big, big house when you're right out of training. Because a lot of times you don't really know how much you can afford. So keep in mind, Banks sell money and they're going to want you to buy a house much, much, much bigger than what you can afford because according to their calculations, they think you really can afford it. So I just had a case earlier today. They wanted to get a new house. They wanted to keep the mortgage at about $800,000. Um, but guess what? The bank had actually approved them for a loan for $2 million. Now, I'm looking at their situation going, there's no way you could do $2 million because you're not going to be able to put your kids through college. If you do that, you're not going to be able to pay off any of your debts. You're not going to be able to go on vacation. It would be really a squeeze. So make sure that you're not going to be house poor by buying a house that's just way too much right out of the gate. Now, some of our clients are looking for cars or boats or vacation homes or these other things they've been putting off for decades and they're like, now is the time to have this thing that I've been dreaming about. So a number of years ago, my partner Josh and I did an analysis for a doctor couple. They had moved to Maine 
and they wanted to buy a boat. Now, here's one of the advantages of working with an old financial advisor. I've been in the business so long, I knew their finances, I knew that there is no way in God's green earth that they could afford a boat at this stage. Maybe in the future, but not today. They both had student debt, they had a lot of other expenses. It, it just wasn't gonna work. Now, nobody wants me telling them, no, you can't afford this boat. I'd much rather clients figured it out for themselves. So here's what we did. I had my de facto partner go out and he researched three different lengths of sailboats. He figured out what each one was gonna cost. Then he priced out three different docks depending upon the size of the sailboat. And then we picked out the insurance on three different sailboats, what it was gonna cost to finance. You kind of get this pictured out and the expenses. And he pulled all this together in a nice, neat little spreadsheet. One page even. Now, could the clients have done this themselves? Probably, but it would have taken them hours and days. And frankly, a lot of times they would never bother to have gotten around to it. He pulled it together. It took me about 30 seconds to run through this with them. And when I'm done, I don't say anything. I've gone, what do you think? And they both looked at each other and went, we can't afford a sailboat, can we? No, you can't. But it's much better that they figured that out themselves. So some of the ways you can figure this out is what I'll be talking about next is with a budget. So another thing to think about, sometimes it's not a, a car or boat or vacation, but it's a baby. Now, personally, I do not think you should make the decision on having babies totally financial decision. It should not be a financial decision, but that doesn't mean it's not helpful to get a rough idea of what babies are going to cost. And uh, a, a couple of years ago, I was doing a lecture for the graduating orthodontists and endodontists at the Tufts Dental School in Boston. And that's one of the things that came up in our conversation. And I'm running through the, the cost of childcare and so forth and all the expenses involved with the, with the family and additional clothes and diapers and all that kind of stuff. And they were like in complete shock that babies cost so much. And one of them was quite happy that he could get grandma to babysit. Cute makes a huge difference. So once again, don't make your decision to have kids financial, but it's helpful to have a rough idea to see where the numbers are going to be. And if you already have a family in place before you get your job as an attending, you want to see how can you increase your savings to put more money into your children's education accounts. All right, number three, and I've alluded to this just a minute ago, is we want to look at that new budget. This is where we take your new salary, even if you haven't made it yet, your new housing, all these new expenses, including your new, your, um, new student loans, and you can see how much do you actually have left over. Now, this is a hugely important step before you make big financial decisions. So I once had a first meeting with a brand new dermatologist and they were not gonna be a good fit for us for reasons you're gonna see in just a minute. But he had just finished his training and he had also just signed not one, but two leases on BMWs. But the cost for each was about a thousand per month. And they also had engaged a full-time nanny. So right out of the box between the BMWs and the nanny, it was going to take all of his spouse's after-tax income just to fund cars and nannies. 
And oh, did I mention that they had also just signed a contract to build a brand new house. And they were also up to their eyeballs and student debt. So I felt really, really sorry for them because I knew that this house was a mistake. And although he thought it was going to cost him $800,000, to $800, when you do your own build, you typically have to add 25% or more for additional costs and upgrades. So honestly, I was felt so bad for them because I knew it was going to take them about 10 years to undo these financial mistakes. It was going to take them that long to realize, oh my gosh, we're squeezed. Life isn't fun. There's no money left over. We're living paycheck to paycheck, even though we're making a lot of money. And I can't sell this house because we overpaid for it. So they have to wait for the market to recover before they could get out of that expensive house. So once again, it's the reason we like to do budgets up front before you pull the trigger on whatever that big purchase is, whether it's a house or a car. Okay, item number four to think about is upgrading your income protection or your disability insurance. We always like to look at the coverage your new employer is going to offer you in addition to whatever you may have in your personal coverage, because statistically, young doctors are five times more likely to become too sick or injured to work than they are to die. So we want to make sure that we've got some adequate disability insurance for income protection. Now, just an FYI, if you're still in training, it's typically more cost-effective to purchase this coverage while you're in training. And frequently we can get discounts as long as we do it when you're in training. All right, number five, we want to revisit and upgrade your debt plan. So now that you know where you're going to be going, we have an idea of your new contract, your new employer, we can look at whether you should refinance your student loans or continue to utilize the PSLF program. Now, one question I get a lot is, can you eliminate debt and still invest at the same time? Some of our doctors think very linearly, got to do debt first, pay off debt, pay off debt, and then, oh, in 10 or 15 years, when I get that paid off, then I'll start investing. Well, the problem with that is they've missed 10 or 15 years of compound interest on investing. So I much prefer a program that has you paying down debt and investing at the same time. Now, an exception to this might be if you're carrying very expensive credit card debt that you haven't paid off every month. And those we generally want a way to pay those off as soon as possible. And one of the ways we do this is for a lot of our doctors, we can get them unsecured loans to pay off the credit card debts at much, much lower interest rates than their current credit card payments. All right, item number six, you wanna look at your retirement timeline. Now I know this seems silly for some of you listening, you haven't even started your real big boy or big girl job yet, and I'm already talking to you about retirement, but I think it's very important to start with the end in mind. So let's take a look and Figure out, do you have an age in mind? A lot of our clients want to retire early. They find practicing medicine very draining. They don't want to wait till they're 65. They want to retire at 60 or maybe even 55. Well, you know that's possible, but it does mean we have to be focused and we have to have a very robust savings program between now and then. And we need to run some numbers for you to just show you what it's going to take. So if some level you may want to ask, when do I want work to become optional? I mean, my goal for myself and for my clients is to create a life 
that's so fun, so rewarding, so energizing that you never have to retire because you don't want to retire. It's just too much fun. And so that's something else to think about too as we plan for your future. All right, item number seven, tax efficient investing. Now you've likely gotten a rather large income increase by now that you've gone to attending status, but you've also likely changed tax brackets. And particularly under the new laws we're anticipating will go into effect soon, you may be shocked at how much money you're actually paying in state and federal income taxes. Now is a really good time to be thinking about that and planning ahead so you're not overspending and having to come up with a big tax bill come next April. Now, this is an important topic to me. We've done some other uh, classes on this. So take a look at some of our other podcasts on the tax control triangle and tax efficient investing. And I think you'll find it very helpful for your future. All right, in summary, some of the best advice I can give you is for the first few years of being an attending, live like a resident. Let's face it, you've been used to living on lower income, not buying clothes, uh, not taking big expensive trips. This is a fantastic time to continue that exact same lifestyle, build up your emergency fund and get a really good handle on your finances before you start making some costly purchases that could turn into costly mistakes. And to me, it's about making a mindset choice, making it up front right now, between now and the end of your life. Just the way you always brush your teeth twice every day, no matter what, how about you make a decision that you will always live on less than you make? So start with a goal of maximizing your 401k or 403b at work. So if you're under 50, that'll be 19,500 this year. And then investing at least a minimum of 10 to 15% of your gross income. Believe it or not, 20% would be better. It's just not always possible when you've got student debt. And if you can do this every month between now and retirement, you're going to be in very good shape when it comes time to making work optional for you. So we know this is an incredibly busy time for younger doctors, and we want to help take that stress off and let you know that we're here, we're ready to help you as your careers take off. So if you've got questions about this, you've got concerns, please, please reach out because I consider it my duty, my mission to help doctors relieve the stress about their finances. So let's use this time to put together an after graduation budget and plan ahead for your big expenses and then making sure you're setting aside enough for savings and investments. In closing, please follow us on social media. If you found this helpful, I'd so appreciate it if you'd forward it on to your colleagues. And be sure to send us your questions and topics for future issues of our podcast. Finally, you can reach out to us directly for a second opinion on your financial health by emailing us at info at mdfinancialadvisors.com. Until then, please stay healthy and prosper.